I'm Hilary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Welcome to Talking Cyber, a cybercrime radio segment where we discuss the latest news and breaking stories of the cyber economy, hackers, intrusions, privacy, security, and much more. Joining us today is Heather Engel, Managing Partner of Strategic Cyber Partners. Heather, welcome. So great to be speaking with you again. Hi, Hillary. Thanks very much. I'm happy to be here. So, Heather, to start off this episode, we know, of course, that there is no decrease occurring with cyber criminal activity. In fact, it's only consistently on the rise. And as a result, an article in the Financial Times this week covers how premiums for cyber insurance have soared over the past few years. And Broker Marsh's market index shows that the cost of cyber insurance in the U.S., was uh, rising at a rate of more than 100% year-on-year by the end of 2021, although that had moderated to about 79% in the second quarter of this year and and 48% in the third. But I guess take us through this. I feel like this is in your wheelhouse, and there are a lot of implications for folks listening. Yeah. So, you know, funny enough, cyber insurance is one of my favorite topics to talk about, and that's because it's so misunderstood. And I have so many clients who have purchased cyber liability insurance. They haven't read the policy. They don't really know what they're paying for. They don't understand what's in it. And so when we sit down and really talk with them about it, very often there are, you know, gotchas or things that they just weren't aware of that make the policy not a great fit for them. And you know, this problem is multiplied. A lot of the times the brokers don't have a good understanding either of the business or of the liability policy itself. And so what we're starting to see is we see these rising prices in response to insurers really underestimating how much it's going to cost when a client makes a claim on a policy. And so not only are we seeing higher prices, but we're also seeing where it's a little bit more difficult to actually make those claims. And when you actually go through and read your policy, I guarantee you, you're going to have questions. I just did this for a client, you know, and yesterday we got on the phone with their broker and we asked a couple of questions about, you know, why is this this way and what does this mean? And the broker is going to have to go back to the underwriter to try to get answers for those things. But what we found when we read through that policy was that there was a section that replaced a previous section that eliminated coverage in the event that they lost sensitive data. And almost any kind of cyber breach, if you're making a claim, you're probably going to have some kind of impact to sensitive information. So it can be really hard to know what you're getting in a cyber liability policy. They're wordy, they're lengthy. You know, the policy that we went through yesterday was 80 pages of pretty technical information, both technical on the IT side and technical on the insurance side. And so A lot of companies now are starting to look at whether cyber liability insurance is worth it. Yeah, I bet. If sensitive data is the disqualifier, if you're breached for being able to make a claim on your cyber insurance, I guess what's left for you to have covered? I know you just said 80 pages, (laughs) not that that we can go through 80 pages and I don't have the technical expertise, but I'm just like, you know, that's where my brain goes. Like, So what's covered? I don't understand. Right. And I think that's the question that a lot of companies have when they actually read their policy, right? Now we've gone back to the underwriter to get some clarification and see what that means. And things like that are not going to be in every policy. Some of the policies that are designed for smaller companies are a little more straightforward. 
But what you have to look at if you're going to purchase cyber liability insurance is what's the cost versus the coverage and the benefits. And I have clients now who have run the numbers and they've decided that it's not worth the premium, right, or the retention. So that's the amount that you pay for the policy plus whatever you would pay in the event that you had a breach. They've said, we just are going to take that money and we're going to set it aside and we're going to cover our costs ourselves if we were to have a breach because otherwise we're paying it out. We might never need it. And if we do, it might be really difficult to actually get the benefit. Now, you know, in answer to that, a lot of the cyber insurance companies are saying, well, one of our benefits is we have services to help you deal with your cyber incident and we will help you triage it, which is true, right? But what a lot of companies still don't realize is that if you purchase specific types of policies, you're required to use their resources, right? You can't just go and use whatever company you're comfortable with for doing forensic analysis. You might not be able to use the law firm that you work with on a regular basis. You might have to use the company that the insurance company specifies. So that can be a good or a bad thing, right? But most policies at this point have some sort of triage that you can access. Oftentimes they're providing resources. So you really have to look at what you're getting for the cost beyond the policy. And you have to look at whether the policy itself is going to meet the needs and align with the risk for your particular industry, for your particular company. I guess I understand why they're 80 pages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. They're they're pretty long and, and they're, you know, lengthy. And yeah. I would say the majority of companies that purchase these don't ask the right questions before they write the check. Mm. And very oftentimes they don't read them even when they have them. That can be a huge mistake when you're dealing with an incident. You're listening to Talking Cyber. I'm your host, Hillary McClure. Joining me today is Heather Engel, Managing Partner at Strategic Cyber Partners. Well, Heather, you mentioned over the last story we covered, attorneys, and and you know, you were talking about not being able to perhaps use your attorney if you have a, you know, specific cyber insurance policy that requires you to use theirs. But the next story for us centers around how New York is the first to require that New York barred attorneys complete one CLE credit hour of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection training as a part of their biennial learning requirement. And this is going to begin on July 1st of 2023. And this is posted in Bloomberg Law. And it's pretty interesting because I know that you know, through conversations I've had with folks and my husband's an attorney, like attorneys are hot targets for cyber criminals. So, and they have a lot of sensitive information for their clients. Yeah, they do. And what's really interesting is service firms in general, and this is a big generalization, but they don't tend to have any kind of regulatory cyber requirements, right? So if we look at retail organizations, if we look at companies that do business with the government, if we look at healthcare, they all have very specific regulations on what they have to do to protect their data, whether it's payment card industry information, whether it's HIPAA. And we don't necessarily see that with a lot of service firms, right? They have general requirements, you know, for personally identifiable information and things like that, but there really isn't a framework that covers firms that are, you know, accounting firms or or law firms. And so this is is pretty forward-leaning by New York, and they tend to be fairly forward-leaning when it comes to cybersecurity. 
But this is a requirement that I think is long overdue to help lawyers really understand technology, understand the ways that they could be hacked, understand why they could be hacked, and what to do to really prevent access and protect client information. Right. And I guess this is speculative, but do you anticipate that if this goes well in New York, that will extend across the country? I think it could. You know, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but I think it's something that is reasonable. It's only an hour. And all of us in industry, you know, who've worked for companies, you generally have to do some sort of cybersecurity training. And I've had a lot of clients that are law firms and, you know, in the legal industry or service industry. And just to get access to a network, you have to do some sort of cybersecurity training. So I think this will be really interesting to see what type of education starts to appear for lawyers. You know, the article specifically mentions two specific cases where attorneys really made pretty big mistakes in terms of data loss. And it specifically references Alex Jones's attorney who sent a large electronic file to opposing counsel that included privileged communications, protected health records, and records that were unrelated to the case. It gives another example of media outlets uncovering emails between Donald Trump's lawyers through an active Dropbox link. And so not securing these attorney-client privileged information is a huge liability for the lawyer, for the law firm. It can really impact your client and their case. And so I think this is something that is, as I said, much needed and, and probably long overdue. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like it. Well, I guess we'll see. We'll see how it goes in July and beyond. And my personal opinion, which is grounded in nothing, uh, is that it would be good. <laughs> is that it would be good for everyone to to do. But I know right. lawyers are busy and they're like, oh, one more CLE. But anyway. <laughs> well, you know, and, and at this point, I think if you don't work in the industry, if you're not a cybersecurity person and you don't think about this stuff all the time, it never hurts to continue to get more education, right? And that goes for your parents, you know, people who are retired, people who don't work in the industry at all, because it spills over into your personal life as well. And, and if you have, a, you know, an identity theft on a personal level, that can be something that is really difficult to recover from. It's a lot, it's really time consuming. So again, it never hurts to be more educated on cybersecurity, protecting information, in this case, you're protecting your client's information, but just for us, right, on a day-to-day -day basis, protecting our own information and really understanding how it's being used, we always say to, you know, think like a criminal or think like a hacker, and, and this can only help with that. Absolutely, and that's a great send-off for our audience. So, Heather, thank you so much for joining me uh, talking cyber, and I'm looking forward to next time as always. That sounds great. I'll look forward to talking with you again. I'm Hilary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Talking Cyber is a cybercrime radio segment that discusses the latest news and breaking stories of the cyber economy, hackers, intrusions, privacy, security, and much more. To keep up with the latest security and privacy news updated daily, visit us at cybercrimewire.com.